1: Joab uh, killed, really murdered, Abner. And David was so much against that, what he did, that um, David did things that indicated to the people that he was totally not behind this. And what he did was he rent his clothes, and he mourned, David did, and then he refused to eat, and he refused to eat meat. And the people really were watching David And there's a verse in 2 Samuel 3.36 that is very interesting because it says, when David did that, all the people took notice of it. It says that about David. All the people took notice of it, and it pleased them as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. That concept of the people took notice of it and it pleased them is a great concept, to come to the Word of God with, to come to God with, to take notice. We must take notice of what's in the Word of God in order for us to be pleased with what the Lord is doing. Let's pray that to that end. Lord, help us that we should, that we could, that we will take notice of all that you have painstakingly written down for us in the Bible so that it can please our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now, Genesis chapter 31 It's starting here again. Genesis 31 and verse 1 through 17, and we're going to read this again. And so you might ask, how come he keeps going over the same things over and over again? Because I haven't taken notice of it all yet. (laughs) So I'm in the process. All right, Uh, Genesis 31, 1, okay, he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's, hath he gotten all this glory. Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban. Behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And you know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages just ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me if he said thus the speckled should be thy wages then all the cattle bear speckled if he said thus the ring should be thy hire then bear all the cattle ring thus god hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that i lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream and behold the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring speckled and gristled the angel of god spake unto me in a dream saying jacob and i said here am i and he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstraked, speckled, and gristled. For I've seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, return unto the land of thy kindred. Rachel and Leah answered, and said unto him, Is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he has sold us, hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches with God hath taken from our father, that's ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. And Jacob rose up, set his sons and his wives upon the camels. Okay, now, The section that we're in right now, it really started in verse 4, and you can see that in verse 4 where it says here, and Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. Now, it's important when we read something like this that we understand what's happening here, because this verse is telling us that Jacob called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock, to Jacob's flock. That would be Jacob's flock. But wait a minute wait a minute now, I don't understand, because Jacob was taking care of Laban's flock, and Laban was taking care of Jacob's flock. We remember what happened. Laban says, there's no way I'm going to let these odd-colored animals interbreed with my animals, so I'm going to take care of Jacob's flock three days' journey away, and Jacob's going to take care of my flock. Those were the terms of the agreement. Jacob takes care of Laban's flock, and all the odd-colored animals, those would be Jacob's, were that, were, that came out of Laban's flock, they were transferred to Laban, and he was taking care of them three days journey away. But in verse 4, we read that Jacob called his wives to where Jacob was when he was with his own flock. So if Jacob is supposed to be taking care of Laban's flock, and not Laban's flock, that's, that's three days journey away, how come we find in verse 4 that Jacob is with his own flock? If Jacob went to his own flock, who was with Laban's flock, right? Now, you tell me from verse 19 the answer to that question. Who was with Laban's flock if Jacob was not with Laban's flock? Laban, right? Laban was because, oh, it was a special time when Laban went temporarily to his own sheep to shear his sheep. Oh, I see now. Okay, this was a special temporary time when Laban and Jacob... Traded places with each other so Laban could go shear his sheep. There's a special temporary time right now because Laban wanted to shear his sheep and Jacob traded places with Laban. And so Jacob was temporarily with his own goats and sheep. Oh, how convenient! (laughs) How convenient was that for Jacob to make a run for it with his own sheep and goats? This was a golden opportunity for Jacob to take his family and his goats and his sheep and make a run for it with a 3 days journey head start on Laban. In fact, this was really a great opportunity because Jacob would actually have more like a uh, more like a 6 days journey head start on Laban. Why do I say that? How come he had a 6 day journey? Because when Jacob made a run for it, you know, no one picked up their cell phone and called Laban's cell phone and told him, you know, hey, he's leaving, you know, someone had to go. And tell Laban. And how long did it take for someone to go and tell Laban? It took three days. It took three days. So this was great. I mean, Jacob's sitting there saying, Wow, I can get a six day jump, a uh, head start. See, because Jacob is three days' journey away from Laban. It takes three days for the messenger to reach from Laban. Jacob, he's got a six day head start on Laban. He's got a six day head start. That was the opportunity that Jacob saw that he had. He had this chance, this little window of opportunity, when he was with his own flocks, and he had a, he had a window of opportunity, to get a six-day jump, a head start before Laban could uh, really find out, you know, he was going to be six days journey away. Okay, that's why it's important to see from verse four, it's showing us when Jacob was with his flock in verse 19, is showing us that Laban was with his flock with the golden opportunity, how golden this opportunity was for Jacob to grab his flock and get a six-day head start. So Jacob's got this golden opportunity, but Jacob, okay, that was one thing, Laban's out of the way, but he can't do this unless he has the agreement of his beautiful wives. Well, at least one of them was, (laughs) Rachel and Leah. (laughs) And, And that's why this meeting in the field was critical for Jacob because what we've been seeing is how Jacob, in this passage here, he just opens wide open his heart. And that's what we see him starting off by saying in verse 5, when he says to them, he said it to them, I see your father's countenance. It's not toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. See, verse 5 is Jacob's I am seeing talk, because it's in the presence tense. And he says, I am seeing Your father's countenance. See, Jacob was seeing the meanness of Laban's face, but Jacob was also seeing God had been with him. So, did Jacob see the problem of his arch enemy Laban? Yes. Yes, of course, that's what he saw. And if that's all he had seen, he would have been consumed. He just would have been consumed. He said, Oh, I have no chance. He has all the power. He's against me. But what Jacob was saying is that he also saw that God was with him, and that kept Jacob from being consumed. And the same is true of us. We see those who are against us, but if that's all we see, we'll be, we're done. We'll be consumed. But what really encouraged Jacob was when Jacob heard God call himself in verse 13, and God said, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. That was just amazing, for Jacob to hear God call himself the God of Bethel, and where thou bowest a vow unto me. No one lived at Bethel. Bethel was a no place. There were no structures at Bethel. There was no sign, you are now entering Bethel, (laughs) you know. There was nothing. There was nothing. It had a population of one when Jacob was there, and when he left, it had a population of zero. The only significance to the place of Bethel, was that it was a place where Jacob anointed the pillar and where Jacob vowed a vow to God. That was it. That was it. So when God said to Jacob in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me, God was identifying himself with a very important time of prayer in Jacob's life. When God spoke of that prayer experience, when Jacob had earnestly prayed to God, and then when God said... I'm the God where you did that in verse 13. Jacob knew who that was, who had come to him. Jacob knew God by prayer, and Jacob recognized who God was when God said to him, "Oh, Jacob, I'm the one you prayed to back there in Bethel. Bethel. Who, I don't know who's ever heard of Bethel before. It's Jacob. See, knowing God by a time of prayer and recognizing God when God referred to that prayer." is exactly what happened in the life of Nathanael. Because at the end of John 1, it's an unusual thing that seems to be like, boy, you know, John 1, we're talking about, you know, in the beginning, you know, with the statement, in the beginning there was God, and, and, he, and there was the Word, and he was, God was the Word, and, and in all these magnificent statements, God, the Word became flesh, and then there was John who announced Him, and then there were the Jews who rejected Him, and then there was a few that had received Him, and they became the sons of God, and you have this history going on, and John 1, and all of a sudden, you come to this little private conversation that takes place with Philip in verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael. Philip and Nathanael. And saith unto him, Philip says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth. Okay, well, anyway, that's what happened. The son of Joseph. And Nathanael says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Nazareth? Like saying uh, Tijuana. <laughs> <You know? laughs> any good thing come out of Tijuana, anyway. Uh, but Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Just come and see. See for yourself. Those are beautiful words. Come and see. Never forget when I was in the south of France in uh, Nice. I find the evangelical church. Very hard to find. And go find, you know, there's a lot of other churches and, that and so forth. But anyway, find this little church, you know walking up this hill, and looking around, you know, from, from door to door, where is this church, you know, and there was the sign of the little church, it was just there, you had to walk in between the houses there, you know what the sign says, Vienevoir, that was the name of the sign, come and see, It's says that was the name of the church, come and see, <laughs> and I did, it was a wonderful experience, but anyway, this is what Philip said to Nathaniel. come and see, so Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael shocked. Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? You know, from where do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. See? And Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art God the Son. Thou art the King of Israel. So, Philip told Nathaniel they found God who had become the Messiah, Moses wrote and the the prophets write about. And Nathaniel didn't believe him. He didn't believe Philip. Nathaniel but accepted his uh, come and see challenge. And when the Lord Jesus Christ saw Nathaniel, he said to Nathaniel, Oh, there's an Israelite of no, no guile. And Nathaniel asked him, How do you know me? And he said, The fig tree. The fig tree. And Jacob, How do you know me? Bethel. Bethel. Why did Nathaniel come off with this, your God and the king of Israel? Because under the fig tree, Nathanael was obviously praying to God, the king of Israel. And God identified himself with that time of prayer in Nathanael's life. That's the way it's going to be with us. God will identify himself to us. When we all get to heaven, God's going to say, oh, you know what? I'm the one that you prayed to when you were in that place. You were under that fig tree. I'm the one that you trusted in that situation. I'm the one that you dedicated yourself to when you were there wherever you were. And we'll know God by the series of recognitions when he'll say to us, I'm the God of that time of your Bethel experience when you prayed to me in your life and you relied on me at that time and you dedicated yourself to me at that other time in your life. It's just like, you know, we all have these, well, I don't know if we do anymore, but anyway, I do. all have these picture albums, you know, picture albums. And you sit down with the family, and you go to the picture album, with you oh, yeah, look at that memory, you know? Yeah, that's the time you put snow down my back, you know, or something like that, you know? <laughs> you know? And we remember God, oh, no, remember God. We remember the family and by the experiences that we see in these pictures. That's the way it's gonna be we get to heaven. You see, because those pictures represent personal experiences no one else has very personal and that forms the basis for the relationship and so the lord jesus christ says it's those personal experiences in our lives when we earnestly prayed to the lord jesus christ those personal experiences when we earnestly relied on him when we earnestly dedicated ourselves to him that makes up our claim that we know god that makes up our claim that we know God and have eternal life, as the Lord said in John 17, 3. This is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But if a person has no personal experience of ever earnestly praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, has no personal experience of ever earnestly relying on the Lord Jesus Christ. No personal experience of ever earnestly dedicating his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He may have perfect doctrine, he may have perfect beliefs, but he doesn't personally know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he doesn't have eternal life because the Lord said in Matthew seven twenty three, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me. So when God said to Jacob in verse 13 here, I am the God of Bethel, where Thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me, God was identifying himself with a personal experience in Jacob's life. And that was the basis of the relationship between Jacob and God. That's why it's important for us to make our lives lives of prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ, make our lives lives of relying on the Lord Jesus Christ and of dedicating ourselves to Him. But what's wonderful to see in this passage here is Jacob now calling his wives, uh, Rachel and Leah, and involving them in this important life decision. See, I know there was, there was really no way that Jacob could leave without the agreement of his wives, but the way that we see here, the way that Jacob just 100% opens up his heart to his wives, this is precious. This is a precious part of Scripture here, the way he opens up his heart. I mean, it's actually, Jacob, uh, we get... More details in his explanation to his wives of what happened in the dream, of what God said to him, what he saw in his dream, we get more details, and we learn, and then in the short summary, verse before. See, the Bible does that. I mean it informs us of many more details from when Jacob talked to his wives in verses eleven to thirteen. In other words, he said, and the angel, and here, look at the details, the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am, here am I, and he said, lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap behind the cattle, ringstakes, back and gristled, for I have seen all Laban doeth unto thee, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest to vow unto me, now arise, get thee up from this land, and return unto to the land of thy kindred. All those details in his explanation to his wives in verses 11 through 13, as compared to The short little description we have in verse 3, and the Lord said unto Jacob, return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I'll be with thee. Why does the Bible do that? Why does the Bible show us all the details from what Jacob told his wives in verses 11 through 13 as opposed to the short little description in verse 3 to show us that Jacob had embraced the word together. Together, he had embraced that word in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, the wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. What's so hard for some men to do is to embrace when they get married this simple word together, that they're with their wife together. And that's so often is the case because the husband was raised in a home where the father did not embrace the word together with his mother, with the man's mother. But what we see in verses 11 through 13 is Jacob, when it comes to his wives, he embraces the word together. And Jacob understood that a man is in life together with his wife, where they share something which God calls the grace of life. And when it comes to his wife, in order for a husband to embrace the word together he has to open his heart to her and let her in on his innermost thoughts and what his heart and his mind is being disturbed with and tossed about with as he's doing here what do we see Jacob doing here and so what we see in verses 11 through 13 is Jacob's now opening wide open his heart and drawing Rachel and Leah into his heart that's not easy for a husband to do that's not easy for a husband to do a husband has to be willing to make himself vulnerable to his wife to do this. A husband has to put himself in the position where his wife can really hurt him. And that's not easy. And this was not easy for Jacob to do either because Jacob knew that Rachel and Leah could have hurt him by saying, Listen, Buster, that's our father you're talking about. Okay, and go tell your story to the sheep, because these lambs are not buying your story. Yeah. That could hurt him if they said that. So when we read in verses eleven through thirteen, what he did, we just look at Jacob, we say, Bravo, Jacob, great man, for not pushing your way through your wives or trying to manipulate your wives. See what we see here in Jacob is he does not try to push his wives into a passive decision to agree with him. You know, he didn't take this hard declaration to his wives where, he, you know, he, he was going to say, well, you know, I'm going and here are the reasons. And, and now I'm going, if you want to come, fine, let's go, come with me. He did, that would be hard. He didn't do that. And what we see here is he didn't try to manipulate his wives to agree with them. You know, he didn't try to manipulate his wives by instilling fear in them by saying, you know, I'm going and if you stay here, well, you know, Hope it goes okay for you because you're going to be all alone. No one's going to be here to take care of you. And Laban's going to reduce you to poverty, your father. But he didn't do that, manipulation. But what we see here is Jacob openly explaining the situation to his wives and then trusting God to make his wives agree with him to leave their homeland. See, Jacob trusted God for his wives to do something they had never done before leave their father and leave their homeland. And when Jacob did that, Jacob honored his wives. And he followed the command in the First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Only well, in this case it was the wives, but that's another problem. <laughs> <laughs> and the beauty of the approach that Jacob took was that down the road of life, they could look back, all of them could look back and say, the decision, well, they wouldn't say, they would not say, the decision to leave was a life decision that was made because I was pushed into it. They would not say, the decision to leave was a life decision that I made because I was manipulated into it.
0: You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum. Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support. Or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or CreationSD.org. CreationSD.org.